This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. Let's get fashionable in this episode as we engage in conversation with a burgeoning fashion designer, Nancy Volpe Beringer. We hear her story of how she entered fashion later in life, but brought her vision and passion to both Project Runway and to her design perspective. Enjoy. My guest today is Nancy Volpe Beringer who founded her couture brand in 2016, specializing in one-of-a-kind wearable art. At the age of 58, Nancy took a risk and left her career at the pinnacle of her success to enroll in a master's program at Drexel University in the hopes to reignite her passion for fashion. Since graduating, Nancy has been designing under her label and defines her all-inclusive aesthetic as wearable androgynous art for all shapes and sizes, and she works out of her Philadelphia studio. Her designs have been featured in Philadelphia Fashion Week and regularly in Philadelphia's iconic fashion concept store, Joan Shep. Her collections have shown at an array of fashion shows, including the Wharton Fashion Show, Joan Shep Holiday Pop-Up, and the Liberté Fashion Show. Nancy was recently a finalist on Bravo TV's popular show, Project Runway, where she had her work featured at New York Fashion Week. Nancy's desire to pay it forward results in her being the featured designer at many community-sponsored fashion events, including the 2018 and 2019 Salvation Army Garbage Bag Gala. She She has mentored for the Refugee Women's Textile Cooperative, a program that empowers refugee women with sewing and textile skills. Nancy's personal goal is to inspire others to dare to hope, persevere, and dream, regardless of age. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. It is a real treat to have you here. And with all of our guests, I like to start at the beginning. So where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? Well, physically, I was born in Philadelphia Hospital, but I grew up in Levittown, Pennsylvania. And I was pretty traditional, uh, you know, working class to uh, middle class upbringing where my father went out to work. He was an engineer uh, for RCA and my mother was a stay at home mother. Uh, there were six of us. And, um, you know, as again, a pretty traditional back then. Where do you fit in the order of the six children? I am the middle child, the one they forget about. Uh. I'm also a middle child of three. So. <laughs> so now you understand. Yes, it's a special, the middle child syndrome is yes. true. Uh, so as a kid, you had all these other people around you. Did, did, were you able to come up with what you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, you know, you went through an array of what you wanted to be. I mean, it changed all the time. Uh, I think in high school, I actually, at one point, I wanted to be a flight attendant. But I graduated too young, a year I graduated 17 and you had to be 18, which, and it turned out to be a good thing because I get motion sickness. <laughs> Would have worked out well. Yeah. I think above all, what I wanted to do was be independent. I, I, most of my friends, my two older sisters went away to school 
And I hated school at that time. I really did not like it. So all I really wanted to do was save enough money, go out and um, be independent. And that's what I did. I love that. The fact that you didn't want to be a specific thing. You wanted to be a certain way. There's a story. I think it's John Lennon that they, they did this of where they asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think he, his response was happy. Yeah. So I think uh, it's not necessarily, uh, I try and, you know, I think it's important. I try and teach my children, you have to love what you do and want to do it all the day. You know, work takes up a lot of, of your life. Yes. So you got to really love what you do. And um, yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, a specific thing as much as engaged right. in what you love. Uh, so with your older sisters or, or is there anyone else who was kind of a role model while you were growing up? I would think uh, one one role model, and this is younger on, would be my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Actually, was a um, traditional upbringing, uh, strict Catholic uh, Italian family, but she ended up being a single parent, and her uh, husband was my grandfather, who I never met, died young, and she went off to work. She had to take, I think, a trolley, a bus, uh, the L to work on downtown on Center City in Gimbel's. And so I, I think uh, she was quite a role model. Amazing. Uh, and so was she also someone who would come and tell stories? I'm curious, everyone seems to have someone in their family who's a really good storyteller. Was there someone in your family that kind of fit that role? Uh, I, I was, I mean, my grandma, I think as I grew older would tell stories, uh, she was funny. But um, mm -hmm. we would ask questions. It would be more than I think if, if we would ask questions. And, uh, you know, things were just done differently as she was growing up. So we were very curious, very mm. curious. Uh, so and growing up, what was your first paying job? Uh, I remember that I had a, um, a godfather who had was a bachelor, confirmed bachelor. And he was always invited. He lived, he, he traveled all over the world for his job. And so he was in Europe and he would invite me to oh, come stay the uh, winter and we'll go skiing and we'll go to school. And how I was brought up, that was just nothing in our world. But then he kept asking. And then at one point he was moving back to the States and he invited me again. He was married at the time, got married. And so I start saving money to go visit him in Germany for a couple of weeks before he came back. So that was at age 13. And I put an ad in a weekly paper and I started to um, mend clothes and iron shirts. So I put in zippers and did hems and I ironed shirts as my first job at 13. So it was a, a prediction of what was gonna come later on. Who knew? I, I, at age 12 is when I took my summer school sewing class. So I guess I figured I had the skills to become then uh, a working uh, seamstress. Well, uh, my mother-in-law is a seamstress and, and my wife is, knows how to use a, a um, sewing machine and it, it's a wonderful skill that I think is getting lost. Um, and we're trying to encourage my, you know, I have two daughters and a son. Uh, so far, the only one who seems to be interested is my son, which uh, is, is amazing because I That's think great. You know, um, he's made a little bookmarks and things. And it's, I love it. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. So you go, so you obviously then got into a different career. Um, and how did you, so you were doing this little kind of working skills. Did you think of fashion at that point in time? What was your kind of connection to fashion, if, if at all? So my connection to fashion, um, I had 12 years of Catholic school, so it was all uniforms. And 
fashion wasn't really a big part of my life, except that um, when I got to high school, we had football was a big thing. We we became all uh, city champs. And so we, again, we didn't go out and buy clothes. We didn't have money to do that. But because I love to sew, my mother loved to buy fabric. So I started making my outfits for the football games. And then um, I can remember, I think my first entree into designing, because I really liked the technical aspect of constructing. So I didn't call myself a designer, but um, besides making Barbie doll clothes, um, by cutting holes in there for their arms. I remember taking the train to um, Philadelphia, but always go visit my grandmother at Gimbel's. But at that time, Philadelphia, they have a jeweler's row now. Well, they used to have a bridal row. So I remember going in and I was extremely, extremely shy, child and young adult. And I would go in and I'd look at the bridesmaids dresses for ideas. And I would just sketch a couple extra ideas. And then I went home and I'd find a pattern and how I could adapt the pattern. So that's kind of how I started in high school. And then, so, but you weren't thinking of, of, of fashion or seamstress or any of that for a career. Now, for me, my life is, for the majority of my life until this point, has always been being practical. Mm -hmm. So practical was, since I didn't want to go to college, I took business classes. I wanted to be independent. So I went out into the business world and um, started working first as a secretary and then quickly advanced all the way you know, up to management. Uh, and I sewed a little bit there, but I was not designing or selling. So let's talk about that big pivot. Uh, you're in a career for many, many years, and you decide you want to, you know, do something not so practical uh, and make a change. How, how did that thought process go in terms of, you know, what I'm going to stop doing this? You're very successful, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to throw that all away and try something else. Well, I think I have to go back a little bit to how I might have got to this point. And it's really uh, interesting because Project Runway really did serve as an inspiration for me. It, the first season came out just before I turned 50. Mm -hmm. And I can remember watching it. And I don't typically live my life with what if. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, take what I have. And, and I was like surviving through life. And I then thought, well, what if I had studied fashion because I had loved to sew? I could be on that show, but I never said it out loud. Like nobody ever heard me say that, but it was there. Like it was at the back of my mind. Amazing. So I think um, the pivotal time, and I've told the story, it was, I know exactly when it happened. It was 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm not sleeping again. I had finally achieved the big job. One that was extremely difficult to get. I had tried to get it before I achieved a secure situation and again earlier in my life i had been a single parent i worked i was teaching so i worked extra jobs i worked three jobs I, there was one time i was actually at five different part-time freelance jobs going at once um the gig economy the even so there you go <laughs> so i'm now i have i have the job i'm set and i'm not happy because what i discovered was that i need to be creative to breathe. I always said creativity was my oxygen. I, I never understood why in every single job I had, I was always creating. Even if there wasn't a need, I made it part of the job was to create. It could have been a 
um, business procedures. It could have been a spreadsheet. It didn't matter. I had to create. And I did some very big time um, productions events. Um, so I was very fortunate in that. But once I got the management job, that was going away. And uh, I remember thinking of my sons when I'm not sleeping. My one son apparently comes from the one side of my brain and he's very successful. He's uh, became president uh, in the more of a financial world. Then the other son, the other side of the brain, he had graduated from Berkeley College of Music. And, but now he's out there and he's got to, he has to survive. He's a starving artist. So he starts teaching himself photography, videography. I gave him, I had a really good camera. I gave him my camera and he's online teaching himself. And I remember thinking, oh, if I was young again, if I was young again, what would I be learning? What would I want to learn? That was it. That was the pivotal moment in my life because I was finally honest with myself. And I said, well, you'd love to study fashion. And I didn't even know it until it, I, it was there. And once I answered it, that was it. I mean, I started researching schools that night. I was touring schools in New York the next week. And I signed up for a uh, illustration class the day I went and um, toured fit because I, I could not draw. And then I, my last stop on the tour was Drexel. And uh, I remember when I resigned, my the executive director goes, what? Like, you don't resign from these jobs. You don't resign. You retire. And he goes, is this something you've always wanted to do? I said, I never even dared to dream it. But once I open the door, I got to go through it. How, now, coming to that conclusion is, is that epiphany is one thing. And then actually execute and implement that kind of dream takes, you know, a lot of courage, but also, I assume, a lot of support from those around you. How did you find, you know, comfortable with the idea that you're going to pursue this? Well, fortunately for me, I was always, I had always lived my life financially as if I'd always have to take care of myself. So I was very, I uh, always, like even when I had my first job out of high school, which was maybe $100 a week, I took a $25 savings bond out every paycheck. Like, which didn't leave much to live on. So I maintained that philosophy of saving, not living above my means. Uh, when I got a chance to do a 401, I did the max. So when I left, I had this nest egg of savings and I had been recently married. So that is key. And then, so I hit the house. So, uh, which was, I had lived there almost 30 years. That was a big thing to be willing to give up that security uh, place for my sons. So I had some financial resources and I also was walking away with health benefits. So you have to say, oh, it was courageous, but I also, it was a lifetime of getting to there and having that safety net. So I had a small pension. I had a home to stay in since I'd been married. And then I had some health benefits. Uh, my aunt's a rabbi and she, she uses the term divine choreography, uh, which I think is a really cool phrase that things kind of happen and, and fall into place just right. Um, I, I have a concept called smart luck which is dumb luck is you're walking down the street and you find $5 and you know, you put it in your pocket. Smart luck is if you want to be a designer, you take some design classes and you do the things that you need to do. So I think you're putting yourself in that position to be prepared to take that leap. 
uh, in a way, right. make that pivot in, in a position where you could. And I think that the practical side of you ended up being the reason you could dream. Exactly. So was there in your life, you know, whether it's in the recent past, is where's kind of the most surprising place you ever found yourself, whether it was the job or location or engaging with a person? You never thought this. Well, I would have to go back to my recent. I would never thought I'd be on Project Runway. Come on. I mean, from being 50 years old saying, oh, what if I had studied fashion design to all of a sudden I now am a fashion designer and only graduating three years and getting on the show, then getting on the show and then be, being in the final four. I mean, that, I mean, come on, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> it, it was crazy. I mean, you can see, I think, you know, watching on the show, you see how grateful you are and not taking any of those things um, for granted in a way that, you, that's why I think you came across as being so genuine and, and authentic. But how did you decide to even apply? So you've been in business for a little while. Did you apply once? Have you applied? You know, how did that process go? Well, here's that thing that started in the back of my mind when I was 50 and watched it. It never left, mm. that fantasy. It never left. And so while I was at school, I thought about So when I got out of school, I was, I think I was 61 when I graduated. I knew if I did dare to try to do this, I couldn't wait around for five years, 10 years to get experience. I had to just do it. And so I applied um, not that long after I graduated. Uh, and so I've applied, I applied three times. The first time when I applied and I got like a couple phases, I went to one interview and I had gone up with a sore throat but I talked, I was so excited and all that. Well, in the middle of the night, I woke up, I had lost my voice. Totally lost my voice. So I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I went to the doctors. I had to go back at five o'clock on a train and I go and I have um, flashcards, right? Same, like, I'm like, hope they asked me this. Because so I, I couldn't talk. I really had no voice. And they said, don't worry, we can Skype you in. Um, and, and it took over a week to get it back. So I made it kind of far. Well, the next time I made it, it was going to be all the way. And that was when it was with Lifetime. And then right before is when the Harvey Weinstein thing fell. So I'm like, okay, it's maybe not meant to be. So the following year, somebody sent me a, a text. Hey, Bravo's, they, they were in their first year. They said they're taking application. I went, what the heck? And I did it again. And uh, I can remember when I got the call. Mm -hmm. I was in Florida and I was... Um, on my ninth, yeah, I guess it was my ninth uh, wedding anniversary getaway. And the producer calls and said, oh, Nancy, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm studying a pattern making book because I really was <laughs> just in case. I, and uh, she said, well, you better keep studying. Wow. I got but the thing that I want to point out is that even though I had very limited experience, the whole time when I, like when I didn't get on the show, I never stopped preparing. Mm -hmm. So when I didn't get on the show, I looked at it as an opportunity. I'm like, okay, you have another year to develop skills. What do you need to learn? So I start looking online for like freestyle draping classes. And I, I found one in uh, Dubai. I'm like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I took an online class out of Paris. I signed up for a couture class out of Baltimore. 
And then I took a two-week uh, experimental innovative pattern making in London at the top fashion school. So I was always preparing for this moment. It, did, it wasn't a lark. It became a very strong goal. And what do you think the reason is why you look, how you look at life that way, where a lot of people, if they don't make it, you know, give up? Um, and how, did you ever, when you didn't make it one of those first two times, did you feel defeated? You know, how do you, and then if you, how do you go from that? That's the thing. I didn't feel defeated because it was crazy to think that I was even doing it. But what was great was during the interview process, when I went before the uh, couple judges from prior shows, they gave me such reinforcement of what I was doing. They, I felt, you know what, I do have a, a, a unique voice. I do have something to share. And so that encouraged me in that I got so far, but I just looked at it as an opportunity. Like, I go, okay, I got another year mm -hmm. to develop my craft. And in those interviews and maybe even before in your kind of corporate life, how important do you think it was that you had a, you know, to tell that compelling story? You know, how important do you think it is to be able to tell that story to communicate? Well, I think one of the common threads in, in besides that um, I need to create, for some strange reason, I'm not afraid. I, uh, I um, have... Uh, had started a book when I got back from this whole thing. Elaine Welteroth, one of the uh, judges, uh, has a book, More Than Enough. And, and I heard her on a talk show, and she was referring to me without saying my name and because the show hadn't aired yet. And it was about a, a designer in my age, but it was having making fear your friend. And I didn't realize that. Like, I... What I loved about the jobs and the different careers I had is I didn't know how to do it when I said I when I accepted it. So for me, it was the love of learning that it's, I just it feeds me the love of learning. So and not being afraid. Um, it has life has not like all of us. We all have stories. We all have our journeys, and mine has had its um, own challenges. I've always I like I always always I was successful successful professionally but life always seemed hard like I always said why is life so hard like day to day why is it so hard now I'm working just crazy hours physically I have issues life's not hard <laughs> that's not how I feel life is joyful and I think that's what came out in the show my joy and I think your story has really you know been compelling to lots of people uh, in fact I got an email the other day someone saying um, a, a guy I work with when I was talking about interviewing you and he said, oh, this gives me hope because he, you know, he's like, be able to do something. Um, and there's, I had done uh, research a while back about people, artists and others who didn't find success until later in life. And there's, there's a list of them and it's, it's quite remarkable that we have such a mindset that, well, if you don't do it at this point in time, you've lost your opportunity. And I think, you know, the idea of reinvention and, you know, pivoting is, is so important to keep alive because so many people yes. are not happy in what they're doing. And right. so whatever day you decide to change is the day you decide to change and, and, and make it. Um, so I, I'm fascinated by story. Um, and it's, it's something that I always am looking for these stories that I can share with people. And that's part of the reason I want to have you because I think you have such a great story. I want to ask, do you think that being good at telling stories is a skill that can be developed 
or is it just something you're born with? Either you're a good storyteller or you're not. Oh, I think you can develop it. I think some people are naturally born with it, but I, when I mentioned before that I was shy, mm -hmm. I was shy. Interesting, professionally, I could lead a group. I can remember even in high school, I remember in high school, I was picked as captain of our spirit team, which it was a big deal. Trust me, it was a big deal. So I could coordinate all this work efforts, but when it was time to go home, instead of asking somebody, oh, can I have a ride home? I would walk across the street to the shopping center and get a bus and ride home by myself in a public uh, bus because I was just too shy to ask. So, so um, I was always socially extremely shy. So uh, one of the things was when I said I was 12 and I, my mother kicked us out of the house and said we had to go to summer school. So what are we going to pick? We had to pick two classes. So I picked sewing. And the other class that shy to pick was public speaking. Why? Figure that out. Why? Right? Uh, so I always put myself in places to do that. When I started my undergrad, now I was 30 years old. I was recently a single parent. I had, um, when, by the time I enrolled, I think my children were two and four or three and five, maybe. I took the one to the daycare on campus. And I remember I was in an English composition class. So now I'm 30 years old. Okay. I've been successful in my job. And we had to write a composition and we were in little groups and they, the, the professor said, Is that, did anybody read something funny? And the people in my class said, oh, Nancy, it was about a dog. And I had to read it out loud. This is sitting down, sitting down. So it's, and I'm with 20 year olds. My hand was shaking. I was so nervous because of my shyness. So as I found jobs or did things, I put myself up where then I eventually became a keynote speaker. I, I think um, it's still in there, but people who meet me say, you're crazy. There's no shyness about you at all. So yes, a long answer is that um, if you want it, if you want it, you can work at it. It, you're, it reminds me of a story I heard uh, many years ago, uh, that kind of approach, which is the story is a, a man is walking through a field and he comes to a wall and he looks to his left and he just can't see the wall ends. He looks to his right and he, the wall continues and he's deciding what to do. And he has his favorite hat on and he takes his hat off and he throws it over the wall and he knows he'll find a way to get over that wall because he needs to get his hat back. I love That's that. kind of, you know, what you're talking about, putting yourself in a position uh, that you're, you know, being comfortable with your discomfort in, in doing. Yes. Something. Yes. Uh, and uh, when I was in Australia, we, we, I did, uh, I'm afraid of heights and we did rappelling and the rappelling company had a motto, which I still remember, which was feel the fear, but do it anyway. Yes, <laughs> um, exactly. And so exactly. I think you, you showcase that very well. Um, so let me ask you a, a, a simpler question, huh, maybe not simpler. Uh, uh -huh. what, what really inspires you? Okay, I think kindness. Kindness. When people and when I see kindness, that inspires me. Why? Like in design, fabric inspires me, but in general, kindness. And that's probably what I want to just share more than anything is kindness. So that really, it just makes me want to be a better person. It's like I can do better. Like when I saw the Mr. Rogers movies, I'm like, oh, like 
look at the impact he's had on the world. Nancy, you got to step it up. Like you're not doing enough. Like you got to make a mark. You got to do more. And I think that's what I love about this opportunity with Project Runway. I think I was on it for a reason. I really do. And it wasn't to take the title. It was to um, show some kindness and um, inspire people. And so how do you, you know, I read in, in your bio and other things that you're trying to kind of incorporate that giving back and, and being a really important part of your business. Um, and, you know, they're saying that your purpose and, and caring now matters in business and people want to do, you know, work with companies that do care. Um, how, how has that impacted your success, you think, in terms of how you've run your business? Well, when I was at Drexel, the question I got asked most by everyone was, what do you want to do when you graduate? Because it, it was an intense program. I mean, it's three years. Ours was three years. If you were trying to really learn your craft, you were putting in 80 hours, 90 sometimes during finals, 100 hours. But my gift to myself was not to answer it because I know how goal-oriented I am. So if I'm like, oh, I want to be a children's word, that's all I'm going to think about. So all I answered is, is that I want to be a relevant designer. That was kind of broad, but for me, relevant was like, there must be a reason why I'm, Nancy Volpe Berenger is getting to do this at my age. There has to be a reason why the universe has been so good to me. And for me, it means that I have this desire. Well, I have a need to create that. So I need, and fashion I found is, is the best way for me to express myself. But then I have a desire to pay it forward because I am so grateful. Um, as far as business-wise, um, my, my undergrad is in business. Um, I would not say it might be the smartest business plan for profitability. Uh, uh, but if, if I was thinking about that, I would still be at my job. I'd, I'd be back there building my pension, and I would be doing just fine. So it depends what your mission is. And so for me, if I can sustain my business through my passions to be able then to be relevant in the community. That's my definition of success. Mm. Um, so I'm thinking about, you know, you had this other life as it were professionally and you now have your mission has become very clear. Um, there are a lot of people who are starting a career or in a career. So what advice would you give to someone who's you know, either your 21 year old self or to someone currently at the beginning of their career? Well, I think key is to surround yourself with, your, like some people call it a tribe, a team, a support system. And you got to work your butt off. And you have to, if it's from within and you're passionate, it becomes easy. But you still got to put the time in. I mean, when I, again, when I was, I could walk in my next room and show you when I, again, I got the call to be on it. I was studying a book. When I got turned down, I kept learning to develop my craft. Before I got to go on the show, I started practicing like an athlete would. A top athlete doesn't get there by just saying, I want to be a top athlete. They put the time in. And so be prepared to work hard and be prepared. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself and you're going to get knocked down. I've been knocked down a lot um, in my life. I think that's why, again, I have a less fear in what I'm doing because I've survived a lot of stuff. Uh, but, you know, don't be the first one to walk out the door. Don't be the last one to walk in the door. You got to put the hours in. And again, for me, personally, it's to do it with kindness. You don't have to 
put somebody down to rise up. People can come along with you. So don't ever feel to get to the top. You got to push someone down. Uh, I'm a big fan of Gary Vee, who's a very popular social media guy. And he talks about this in, in the sense of, if you want to build the tallest building, there's two ways to do it. One is to tear down all the other buildings so yours is the highest, or to build higher. And you know, right. the way is that the real success comes from not tearing other people down, but building yourself up and, and surrounding those people with you. Um, you know, this season I'm focused on interviewing all women. And as a kind of father of, of I have twin uh, teenage daughters. And uh, part of my reason was to, to share with them. So um, I'm curious about you were in working in kind of a male dominated world and, and things are still, even though they're way better than they were, being, being a woman in, in the world is, is a challenge professionally. How, what advice do you have in terms of that particular circumstance in terms of being a, a woman in, in the world? Well, and again, I don't, I don't like generalizations, so I'm only going to speak from my own experience. Um, I've had some of my best mentors have been women. Some of my worst experiences have been adult bullying by women. And that's where we get back to um, tearing someone down. Um, and it, people think of bullying as on the playground, right? Adult bullying is prevalent. People have come to accept it and they don't understand what it is. And it's, it's a simple thing as you're standing around talking poorly about somebody behind their back. It's going into a room, isolating somebody. And when somebody stands by and listens to it or watches it and they don't do anything about it, they're not an innocent bystander. They're part of it. So for me, in my and again, it's not that it's been all women, as you saw on the show. There were some uh, tough times for me there. Uh, then that's why I talk about maybe because women, in some places, we have been the minority in, in, in trying to move up the ladder, as you say. But that doesn't mean put somebody else down. And for I always, when I talk to my young classmates, that's the, the advice I would say is to um, not do that. And for your young girls is to um, celebrate our differences, appreciate our differences, and help all of us reach our, our potential. I love it. Be kind. It comes back to being kind. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, Frank Capra did a movie called um, Shangri-La, um, which everyone knows him from some of his other more popular movies. But Shangri-La is this guy who wanders in the mountains and he founds this kind of guru. And that's his advice about humanity is to be kind. Uh, I know. Simple as it is, uh, it's something that's not always easy, but is clearly something to strive for. Um, it's always a good path, and I and I, I really appreciate that you've said that. Um, yeah. We try and encourage that in our family. So let me ask you, in terms of the fashion industry as a whole, what, what do you think is the next trend? I mean, I think, you know, one day you're in, one day you're out. So how do you uh, keep up with the trends, or do you start your own trends, or how, how do you decide where to go? It's funny, because I actually was asked to be on a panel at Drexel on trend analysis and forecasting trends. And I accepted it, but I'm laughing because I don't follow trend reports or analysis. But when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, I'm on trend. 
Like I didn't know it. The thing I love about fashion for me and what I hope to achieve through my passion is it gives you a chance to express yourself as an individual. So what you said, create your own trend. If, if, if you can put something on that I've made or somebody else or combine things and you feel empowered, you feel good. That's what you should be wearing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, trends, trends are not, big uh, maybe i'm creating trends i don't know but um it, it's a very individual thing for me. and so in terms of what's next for nancy how would you answer that question that's easy because um ever since the challenge where i got to design for uh tatiana mcfadden the paralympiad changed my life as a person and as a designer um so adaptive design uh, when I was at Drexel, I was interested in adaptive design. I took a weekend. It was called Charette. Um, I did my children's wear class, and I um, looked at ways to adapt my children's wear, and I did it with sensory perception disorders. So I always had the interest, but I never had a chance to pursue it. So when I saw Tatiana being, um, coming out with the other Olympiads, I, I asked her because we were on a, a live feed the other night. I said, did you see me? Did you see me like? stalking you trying to get the universe to say put us together put us together and it was a random draw and our names were on the pieces they were drawn so it wasn't like the producer said oh look at nancy no they pulled it out randomly and i got tatiana Divine um, choreography yes and so then when i knew i did my collection it had to be inclusive also not just with gender and size but also with uh, different abilities the messages I've been getting from around the world. I have to do this. I, what I do is every time somebody reaches out, I said, please email me. Go look at the designs on my website of what I'm doing and tell me how I can better adapt them. And uh, I have heard from a couple of parents, like their mother, a mother, two mothers sent me um, two different stories. One said, I wanted to share this picture. My daughter loves to draw fashion and all that. It was, a very young girl, she drew one and her little, her, the girl in this pretty dress had a prosthetic sparkling leg. The other one I heard from a parent and her little girl during this break we have is writing a story with bears. And she said, mom, how come all the books I read, no one's in a wheelchair? So she's putting her bear in a wheelchair. Wow, that's amazing. So that's yes, um, adaptive design. Right. This is the part where I ask you a few nine rapid fire questions. Just oh first thing that comes to your head. Uh, try not to overthink it. So is it better to be a planner or a doer? Both. Well, I need to do one and the other. It's both. Sorry. Right. I plan, do, I do, I plan. Uh, They're interchangeable. Should stories always have a happy ending? No. Mine, I have plenty of stories in my life. Um, not happy endings, but it makes me become the person I am. You have a favorite emoji? Maybe heart. That's the double hearts. Heart is the most popular, according to research. Uh, if you had to sing a song for karaoke, I actually had to, and it helped me get out of my shyness. It was um, by Meatloaf Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. Favorite social media platform? Uh, Instagram. It's been amazing how to I've been connected with the world through um, Instagram. Name a book that's left a lasting impression on you. Uh, 
when I went to Project Runway, I, I read uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming book. And when I came back, I, then I was reading um, Elaine Welteroth's um, More Than Enough. So those two strong women um, in my recent world is um, very impactful. Name one of your favorite movies. Oh. I know it's hard to pick one. I just how I say one of your favorite movies. Well, I, I would say my earliest one was um, Wizard of Oz. Love it. Uh, what's one thing you can't live without? Well, if I'm going to be, of course, it's my children and my husband, but practical it would be my Rosa coat that you would see me wear every day on the show. I can't live without that. And if you could be credited with inventing something, what would it be and why? Um, well, again, this is my lofty brain speaking. I wear my no hate bracelet every day, so it would be a world without hate. Fantastic. Uh, Nancy, this has been a real treat for me and I really appreciate you sharing everything with us. Is there anything that you're promoting at the moment um, or you wanna share with people who are listening? Um, again, I'm asking all people with special fashion needs to please email me, a Nancy Volpe Berenger, a Gmail of how, take a look at my website, which is nancyvolpeberenger.com. Tell me how I can um, be more adaptive in my designs. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm in my studio making face masks. So uh, I'm just trying to use my time uh, wisely for that. And uh, like I said, just um, try to live your life with kindness. Fantastic. And you know, you said you're on Instagram. Uh, is that your primary, how people find you online, either your website? Uh, that's the best way. I, I also, just because some people have Instagram, Facebook, I. Before uh, Project Runway, I was rarely on it. Now I'm on it um, more so um, a little bit while the show was, show was going on on Twitter. But um, and then I have email. But Instagram is something that I'm on every and day. Is it just your name? Nancy, Nancy Volpe Berenger. Excellent. I'll make sure I include that in the show notes. Thank you, Nancy. This has been phenomenal. Uh, you are an inspiration, um, and it's wonderful to have this conversation with you. And Thank you so much. And I really want to thank you for helping us connect the dots. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.